Good morning. You guys can feel free to stand and dance anytime. Stand and join us as we continue our service of worship, singing our praises to God together. You are all welcome in this place.
who you are, the almighty creator and God of the universe, who looks into each one of our hearts and loves us. We are amazed. We pray that by your spirit you would lead us where our trust is without borders, that we can walk on the waters, that we can have such faith in you that we can move forward in this life through everything that might come, the good times and the bad times, knowing that you will carry us all the way. We pray that you would be glorified this morning through all that we do. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's sing that chorus one more time. I will call upon your name. Keep my eyes above the waves when oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours, you are mine. Amen. That is our prayer. Please go ahead and have a seat as we invite the ushers forward to help us giving back to God what he has given to us.
Good morning. Before I get to reading the scripture this morning, I actually was asked to make an announcement on behalf of Mike Jordan, Dean of the Chapel. Uh, Mike is busy at the service up on campus right now for new students, and so he invited me to kind of pinch hit this morning. Uh, I'll do my best, but uh, because I'm not Mike Jordan, but uh, this is what Mike would like me to share with all of you. Uh, as Dean of the Chapel, Mike has a unique interest in trying to help connect people of the community, and students uh, on the campus. As most of you are aware, part of what makes Houghton a beautiful college for the students is the community that surrounds them. And part of what makes this community unique and and valuable is the way we can connect with students. And so Mike would like to extend uh, three specific invitations to community members as a way to connect with students at the start of this academic year. First is, you'll see in your bulletin, uh, Christian Life Emphasis Week popularly known as Clue Week, is starting next week. And this is a really special program because the college and the church together pull this off and sponsor it. And it has a deep history, actually, as a uh, revival week, or two weeks originally. And now it's half a week because just God moves much faster here now. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a half week, uh, but... What, what we do is try to start the year out where the church and the college together are saying it matters how we start the year out. And we're going to put an emphasis on what it looks like to start the year. And so uh, there are services happening. Obviously, the speaker will be here in church next Sunday, Richard Mao. And then there are services happening through Wednesday at 11 o'clock each morning and then evening services. And community members, you are welcome to, to join into those services, as well as beyond Clue Week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, chapel. But in addition to that, two special services that happen at the college that, that Mike spearheads that all community members are invited to be a part of is every morning that there are classes, Monday through Friday throughout the semester, there's morning prayer, 7.30 in the morning in the Marjorie Payne Prayer Chapel underneath the chapel uh, for a moment to just gather and start the day out in fellowship and community with other believers, focusing on God's word and just uh, a brief 15-minute service of prayer. And then at the end of the day, uh, the end of the academic day, really, at 345, there is a communion service every day that there are classes, again, about 15 minutes, that will take place on the third floor of the library. And if you are a community member that is interested in being involved in those services, but maybe the timing doesn't work out, there's one other way that Mike White would be interested in having people help out. The communion service will be happening so regularly that he's wondering if there are people in the community who would be interested in making bread for the students who will be at their service for the communion bread. So if you are interested in finding out any more information on any of these services or you would like to get involved in other ways, feel free to talk with Mike Jordan. He's not here right now. He will be at the next service. But you also could talk to me and I'll point you to Mike because I know where to find him. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to Psalm 52, please. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. 
You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to an everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people, and I will hope in your name, for your name is good. The word of God for the people of God. Before we uh, think about that passage a little bit more, uh, take a minute, uh, greet some folks who are around you, maybe introduce yourself to someone that you've not met before or don't know. Uh, Just take a chance to uh, share the, the peace of God with each other. There aren't a lot of the Psalms that we know the context of them. Psalm 51, right before this one, gives us the context of, uh, in which it was written. And there are a few others, including the one we read today. At the beginning of the Psalm, in the, the introduction, it says, For the choir director, a Psalm of David, regarding the time Doeg the Edomite said to Saul, David has gone to see Ahimelech. Now, quite frankly, that doesn't seem to inspire a whole psalm, does it? I mean, a whole psalm because David went to see Ahimelech. Now, you know, I guess you could make maybe a nursery rhyme out of that or something like that, but it just doesn't seem like that fits the bill of being a whole psalm. But that's only because we don't know the background of the story. This is one of those stories that, quite frankly, we probably shouldn't, teach our children in Sunday school until they're a little bit older. One of these days, I'm going to do a series of sermons on, on stories in the Bible that we probably shouldn't teach our children. Uh, sounds like heresy, doesn't it? But uh, th- there's a lot of stuff in there that's disturbing, and this is one of those stories. It's set in the context of 1 Samuel, starting in the 20s, late uh, teens of 1 Samuel, David and Saul have this uh, parting of ways, partly because Saul gets angry at David and starts throwing spears at him. And David gets a picture, I think I'll leave the palace. And it's really rooted in Saul's hardened heart toward God and David being anointed as Saul's successor. And Saul knows that, and so he's trying to get rid of David. And Saul is mustering his army against David and the few hundred men who are with him. 
they're vagabond kind of guys, but they go all around, they're hiding in caves in the countryside. And when you come to chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, David and his men are hungry. And this has just kind of gotten started. It hasn't been going very long. In fact, a lot of people in Israel don't even know that there's been this split between David and Saul. But David and his men are hungry. And so David goes to the closest place he can find to think. He goes to Nob, which is a town that has a temple. And in the temple, there is a priest, Ahimelech, who's mentioned here. And David says, my guys and I are hungry. We're starving. We need something to eat. You got anything? And he says, the only thing I have is the communion bread. It's the bread that goes in the temple every day to, that's supposed to just sit there. And no one's supposed to eat it because it's holy bread. But he recognizes David is in really bad shape. And he says, okay, I think God will understand. And he gives him the bread. And as David is leaving the temple, he notices, he recognizes Doeg, the Edomite, who's mentioned here, who is the chief shepherd of Saul. So he's known Doeg from his time being in Saul's court. And he thinks to himself at the time, that's not good. You know, it's one of those times you think, I really should do something about that, but I'm in a hurry. And he goes. And he regrets it because the next scene shifts to Saul ranting and raving with his officers that David has escaped and some of them who's helping them. and He's accusing them and he says, you guys even tell me that my own son, Jonathan, and David have made a pact with each other, a friendship to protect David. You, you guys don't care about me and he's going on and on. Somebody tell me where David is. And Doeg raises his hand and says, I know where he is. I saw him. He went to Ahimelech the priest, and the priest gave him food for him and his men. Now Saul's really upset. Go get the priest. So they go and they drag Ahimelech into the palace, and Saul confronts him and says, Why in the world did you help David? And he said, Because David's your friend. He's your companion. Not anymore. And Ahimelech says, I didn't know. But Saul doesn't believe him. He's so out of his mind crazy that he looks at the soldiers and says, Kill him. And the soldiers say, yeah, I don't think so. That's God's priest. I'm not killing God's priest. And Doeg steps forward and says, I'll do it. And he kills him. And then he, he kills the 85 other priests that serve in the temple of Nob. And as bad as that is, that's all really Saul wanted. He goes to Nob and he slaughters the whole town. And he comes back and says, Saul's taken care of. And I am certain Saul rewards him handsomely. David says in verse 7, talks about doing things to gain wealth. And I'm pretty sure that has something to do with it. Wealth and power and being raised up in the eyes of Saul. And the underlying idea of this psalm, I think, is something like this. In the midst of injustice and evil in the world, trust God. Now, you probably are expecting the Bible to say that, right? I mean, the whole Bible's about trust God. And in a sense, we say, okay, that's good. I got it. Let's go home. The problem is, we know that's what the Bible is telling us. We know that's what God is saying to us. We just aren't very good at doing it. And it's particularly difficult when, you're in the, when you come face to face with the kind of evil that we are reading about here from Doeg the Edomite and from Saul. I mean, all of the people who are murdered in this story are innocent. 
There is not one person in Nob that said, I'm going to conspire against Saul and, and I'm going to do something evil. Every single one of them are innocent and yet they lose their lives because of evil. And you look at that kind of injustice and, and you begin to get angry and upset. And, and it, we know that because we live with injustice all over the place. I don't know how you felt this week when you read the story about the reporter and photographer who were shot point blank while they were recording live. And read about the, the semi-truck of 71 refugees from Syria, they're assuming, who were smothered, died of suffocation. And the 120-some refugees escaping who capsized in their boat and drowned. Or the Christians in Myanmar who, where there's great flooding and aren't allowed, some of them, stories are coming back where they're not given assistance because they're Christian. And unless they're willing to convert, they won't help them. Or places like Nigeria where half a million Christians are being displaced and on the run because of the violence of Boko Haram. On and on the stories go. And I would suspect that we all can think of stories. We probably know people who have been through some horrific things in their lives because we know that things like human trafficking and abuse and the hurt and the pain at various levels that we cause each other is real. And sometimes it becomes so real that we just want to ignore it. We want to get away from it. And, and we think maybe the solution and the way to trust God about evil in the world is to just ignore it. To, to close ourselves off into our little cocoon and I don't read the news, I don't watch the news, I don't pay attention to the news. I just get in my little space, in my bubble, and I just do what I need to do and I live my life. And there is safety in that, there's security in that. But I can tell you, as I've said before, denial is not a spiritual discipline. And the kingdom of God is never built on denying the truth. And in fact, if we're going to trust God, the first step of trusting God is to acknowledge that evil is real. And it is destructive. And it's powerful. And it's present in our world. The answer is not to say, if I just ignore it, then it's not real. Because it's real whether we ignore it or pay attention to it or not. The, pro see, the problem is, we just don't want to feel bad about it. And I get that. I wrestle with that. But trusting God means we acknowledge the evil. We look it in the face. We, we acknowledge how destructive and, and powerful it is. And say, I'm still going to trust God in spite of. I suspect one of the reasons why we struggle to with ignoring evil and hoping we can just block it out is because if we really embrace it, if we really pay attention to it, it can rip our guts out. I mean, the feelings that we experience when we read story after story after story, heartbreaking stories of death and abuse and molestation, and all the things that are going on in our world that are so evil. 
And, and, and our hearts begin to get torn apart. And in those moments, our, most, our natural reaction is to lash out at the evil. And we have come, sometimes we come to believe that the solution to evil is to fight evil the way it fights us. I mean, after all, we're on the side of truth. We're on the side of justice. We're trying to do what is right. And, the, and, and any means of doing that is okay. And so we justify the kind of behavior that, that has led the church through the centuries at different times to persecute and torture and murder people who reject the faith. People who are opposed to the faith. And it's never the right way to respond. And, and I get it because I mean, I, this week we were dealing with uh, some issues related with one of, the, one of the large government, federal government agencies. And of course, the minute you start talking about dealing with the large federal government agencies, you know there's going to be pain involved in that. And, and we were wrestling with this and, and it was so maddening. You just want to say, how about some common sense? But there are rules and regulations and somewhere along the line, somebody said... We aren't going to let people do this, even though it makes perfect sense that they should do it. And, and I'm, I, can't even, I don't want to be, even begin to tell you the things that went through my mind of what I hope God does to the people who made those rules. And, you know, I mean, I was just, the, the frustration and the anger was getting more and more a part of, who, of my being. And then I'm reading this psalm. So I think the psalm is addressing two different groups of people. On the one hand, you have people like Doeg who commit acts of evil and they need to recognize at some point you're going to pay for that. David says in verse 1, don't you realize that God's justice goes on forever? Don't you realize that God judges injustice and evil? But the second group of people is probably more in our frame of reference. The second group of people look at evil, think about how we respond to it, and, get, and allow our frustration to become a desire for vengeance. And that desire for vengeance can really easily create within us a spirit of bitterness. And that spirit of bitterness will eat away at us and it will corrupt us and it will draw us away from God, the source of life. You look at a lot of history. A lot of the history of evil started out with people who were trying to do good, got frustrated and took on the, the characteristics of evil against evil until they became the evil people. And I think this psalm is warning us. You, you look at, at verse, uh, verses 6 and 7. It says, the righteous will see it and be amazed. They'll laugh and say, look what happens to mighty warriors who do not trust in God. I don't think David is, is that, that that's said maliciously. I don't think that's a sense of, I can't wait until God tears you to shreds. And I'm going to love watching it. I think he's saying... One of the ways in which we learn to trust God is to understand that the day is coming 
when God will set things right. And the people whose hearts, though imperfect, have have desired love and justice and truth will be rewarded. And the people whose hearts are set on evil and injustice and self-centeredness will face the consequences. But it doesn't do anyone any good for us to feel joy about the, about the destruction of anyone. We are never on the side of evil. Instead, we trust God. We trust in God's unfailing love. We trust in God's justice. We trust in, in the character and the nature of who God is. And we believe that God, who created all things, is in control of all things. The hard part is, God doesn't always act as quickly as we want Him to. I mean, how many times have you said to yourself or to someone else, Why doesn't God do something? How can God let this go on? Why don't we put an end to this? What's going on here? And it's hard. It is hard to trust God when he seems to be slow in responding or not responding at all. And I can't explain to you exactly why that happens. I think there are some, there are some theories about it. Maybe one of, the theory, one of the ideas, reason God does that is because the waiting for God to act causes us to realize that God wants us to be a part of the solution. If God stepped in and solved every problem immediately, then we would just sit back and say, well, I don't need to care about those people in need. God will handle it. I don't need to address this injustice. God will take care of it. But when we wait, when God doesn't step in and do everything we want him to do as quickly as we want him to do it, then we often sense a call to be a part of God's solution of healing and restoring And curbing the injustice. And that too is a means of trusting God. David says, I am like an olive tree that flourishes in the soil. I think he's contrasting those words with verse 5 that says, when he says to to Doeg, you're going to be like a tree that's pulled up by its roots. And thrown away. It's another way of David saying, if you commit yourself to evil and injustice, ultimately God will deal with it. If you commit yourself to love and truth and the heart and the mind of Jesus, God will reward that. And you will flourish. And you'll be, you'll be a healing, means of healing to other people. And, and you will see God in ways that other people don't. And why can David be confident about that? How can David be so sure that, that he's on the right track? And the only answer I can find is that he knows in his heart, despite his imperfections, that he's trusting God. He is trusting God. And that's the call on us too. The test of our faith is not so much do we trust God, but the test of our faith really is when life is bad, when evil continues or gets worse, when the situations of the world and our lives are a mess, 
in those moments, do we still trust God? Do we still believe that God is good and merciful, that he knows what he's doing, that we can trust him? Sometimes we ask, what is God going to do about evil? And to me, the clearest answer to that is really why we come to this table. I mean, this table represents the greatest act of injustice in the history of the world. The only person who has ever walked this earth who was perfect suffered death at the hand of his enemies. The difference is, that's why he came. And he comes and says, we conquer evil not by being evil, but by love. And the answer to the injustice of the world is always love and compassion and getting involved and sacrificing and giving of ourselves. And the only way we can do that is because deep in our being, we believe God is good and God is at work even when we don't see it and we can trust him. Everything about our faith comes back to that truth. Everything David writes in the psalm is rooted in that truth. God is trustworthy. He's good. And we may have to wait a while to see the fullness of that and to experience the reality of that in the way that we would like. But while we wait, do we trust him? While we wait, do we believe that God is good? As we come to this table this morning, we are not only remembering what God has done in the past, but we're also coming face to face with what God has promised to do in the future. That He is setting things right. That he is renewing his creation. And the day is coming when we will see that completely. As we come to this table, we come in faith. That even though we don't yet see it, we believe it's true. Holy Father, we thank you for who you are. You know how often we struggle. How often we wrestle to trust you. Father, today, in the midst of what all is going on in our lives and in this world, give us grace to trust you. Amen.
was sure by now God you would have stepped down Wiped our tears away Stepped in and saved the day Once again Say amen It's still
Father, we thank you for your grace to us. You are trustworthy and good and merciful. We pray your blessing upon the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink, may we know your grace at work in our hearts, deepening our understanding of you and seeing your love and mercy, the character of who you are, and committing ourselves to a deeper level of trust, even when it means waiting. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples. So drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood, for the forgiveness of your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We receive communion this morning by intinction. It just means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, eat it, and you return to your seat by the outside aisle. If you'd like to stay at the altar rail and pray, you're certainly welcome to do that. It's always open. If coming to the front is difficult for you, if you simply prefer, we do have a tray of cups and bread. We're happy to serve you in your seat. And I also have gluten-free wafers here. And if you would like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Westland Church. It simply means you don't have to be a member of this church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with a desire in your heart to trust Him, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father. Really? 
Before we go, I want to take just a moment to pray for our Koinonia leaders. Koinonia starts tonight, and if you're not familiar with that, it's a Sunday night worship ministry in the chapel, and it's uh, led by college students, and everybody's invited to come. But it's a real, it's an awesome ministry, and I know they would love the support and prayers of us as a church. And so, even though we're kind of a little past time, I'm going to ask them all to come up front here and kneel at the altar. And I'm going to invite those of you who want to, uh, to gather around them. You can kneel around them, stand around them. But I want, to, I want us to pray for them and to ask God to do something amazing this year through the Koinonia ministry. So if you'd like to, to pray with them, pray around them, come now and uh, we'll gather here and we'll pray for them and then do the benediction and go home. Father, we want to thank you that you are greater, more powerful than anything we can imagine. This morning we come to you acknowledging who you are. We've been singing your praises. We've been declaring that we trust you. And now we come in this moment of prayer and we ask you to do something miraculous in this place and in this world. You know the needs that we represent. We pray that you will bring healing and comfort and grace to all of the burdens and the struggles that we deal with. We pray for this world in which we live and we think of our brothers and sisters in Nigeria who are wrestling with so much opposition and violence and we pray that you would protect them and watch over them. As we begin this academic year, we think about not only the needs that we have and all the things that are new coming at us and some of them exciting, some of them intimidating. We also think about missionary families who live in other places of the world and whose children are coming to places like Houghton to college. We pray that you would, you would bless and encourage. And Father, this morning, we pray for the leaders of Koinonia. You have been blessing this ministry for a long time, and we are so excited about this new year and what you want to do in them and through them. We pray that they will know your anointing in their preparation and planning and rehearsing. And as they stand before us as people, as we sing together, as we read your word together, as we talk to each other, may there be this amazing anointing of your spirit. May the leaders feel it, and may every person present sense it. Father, pour out your spirit on these who are kneeling here, and all the leaders, and upon the ministry week by week by week. And as the evil one comes and tries to reap uh, destruction and division and problems, let us just see every one of those circumstances as another opportunity to trust you and to see you work miraculously. Lord, we anticipate life change through the ministry of Koinonia this year. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your grace and mercy upon each of us. Be glorified in all that we are and in all that we do. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.